Okay, this is going to be a tough one. Hey, and welcome to the Neurodivergent Musician Podcast, where I explore the world of neurodiversity and musicianship. I'm your host, John Hart, along with Luna, my guitar, and today I'll be talking about going through a mental health crisis. Each episode is broken up into a traffic light format, where I'll share insights in the red section, improvised babble in the amber, and recommendations you might find handy in the green. Now, before I proceed, I would like to provide a trigger warning. In today's discussion, I will be addressing sensitive topics such as suicidal thoughts and plans. If this topic is distressing for you, please prioritize your well-being and consider skipping this part. Remember that reaching out to a mental health professional or a trusted person in your life for support can be incredibly helpful. I'm now going to head on over to the red section for some insights. Okay, now let's dive into why it's crucial to discuss mental health crises within the context of the neurodivergent community. Neurodivergent individuals often navigate a world that may not fully understand or accommodate their unique perspectives and needs. This lack of understanding can contribute to heightened levels of stress, anxiety and feelings of isolation. By shedding light on mental health crises, we can raise awareness about the challenges faced by neurodivergent individuals and work towards creating a more compassionate and inclusive society. So how do mental health crises manifest in the lives of neurodivergent musicians? As artists, we are familiar with the intensity of emotions and the roller coaster of thoughts that often accompany the creative process. For some neurodivergent musicians, these experiences can be overwhelming, leading to a sense of hopelessness and despair. By sharing stories and experiences, our aim is to break down stigma, raise awareness and provide support for those who may be struggling. But where can neurodivergent musicians turn to for help when they find themselves in crisis? It is crucial to establish a safe and nurturing environment within our artistic communities, where individuals feel comfortable reaching out and seeking assistance. I'll be going into a few recommendations at the end, such as helplines and maybe some support groups and mental health professionals who specialize in working with neurodivergent individuals. By engaging in open and honest conversations, we hope to encourage early intervention and foster a proactive approach to mental well-being within this community. And lastly, we must discuss the steps we can take as individuals and as a community to support neurodivergent musicians during mental health crises. Educating ourselves about mental health, Practicing active listening and offering empathy are just a few ways we can make a positive impact. Together we can create a network of support, understanding and resilience 
that promotes mental well-being within the neurodivergent music community. So that is it for the insights. I'm now going to go into the amber section where I'm going to go into my improvised babble. See you then. Okay, so we're now into the amber section. And I think with every single episode I've done so far, I feel already uh, there is a tangle. There's a twisting inside of me. Um, and, you know, I, I might get really upset. <laughs> I'm already starting to get upset. And I think this is probably going to be oh, the most vulnerable um i've ever been in in an episode like this or a track and some people don't like to hear people cry um some people don't like to hear people sort of express this because it's not something you can fix and you know a lot i know for a lot of people I developed a track with lyrics in my head that I never actually released called The Response. And I'll go into the crises because I, I need to. This is kind of the episode I've been building up towards. But um, the response was from people around me and how, you know, they either listened or they tried to fix or they just try to suppress it, so plug a hole in it and or be at service or be something like that. And everyone deals with it in a different way. And it was really fascinating. I, I didn't mean to analyse everybody around me, but you you quickly know. And anyway, so Right. Going into the crises. So I was talking before in the previous episodes that I had a panic attack and then that sort of bled into, you know, severe anxiety around that panic attack in August 2021. Again, this has been a recurring theme. I then uh, had SSRIs and with that, with Cetralin, um you know, I was supposed to have it for a few weeks and then see how it goes. And it got left. It was like, okay, see how it goes. And um, I was getting worse. It was getting worse. And I went on Cetraline for probably eight to 10 weeks by the end. And had lots of compounding effects. You know, had a bill come through from... HMRC telling me I had to pay back like £15,000 or whatever it was within a month. And this was going to be, this was in November. So I had the panic attack in around August. I had SSRIs uh, straight from the doctor. I was trying to, I had other letters coming through the door. I was really not in a good way. And then obviously the compounding effects of all these letters coming through the door from 
uh, HMRC from different sorts of things. Uh, business was crashing. Um, I was this was post COVID as well. Um, I was completely and utterly a mess. The, the Ferrari or the, the express train was going so fast and I, I couldn't put the brakes on. I tried everything. And then I had one bill, you know, for a few, few thousand and I had another bill and then I had this other bill and it was, you know, it was so much money that on top of the SSRIs, on top of the panic attack, on top of the depression, on top of all these things, this came through in November and it was really, it was like pouring fuel on the fire. And this kind of spiral been happening. I had a business crash in 2017 and I was trying to plug my business since then. And then we had COVID. So this spiral been happening for a long, long time. And even though, you know, loved ones and everyone's well can be cautious, they can try and say, don't do this and don't do that. You know, sometimes when something is happening and it is going to crash, it, it's inevitable. It is what it is. And everyone can look back on it and kind of go, oh, I wish it did this and hindsight and should we have done this? But actually it was meant to happen. But in November, when I received that, big letter and I said I had to pay back this amount by my birthday which was 15th December I kind of knew it would crash the business it would ruin Christmas and it it would have a devastating effect and I was not rational and I you know I wasn't logistical and then I tried to phone my accountants a number of times and then it got left a week then it got left another week then it got left another week and uh, you can probably tell it was just, you know, anybody having that letter come through, it will be incredible stress. But to have all those things and then unaware that I've got a neurodivergent brain, I know I was dyslexia, but I didn't know I've got these other things and having mental health issues and having other problems, business problems, all sorts of stuff. I've been resilient my whole life, but this really did you know, stack on top of me. And you imagine it was all the rocks that came. And I had a, I finally had a meeting with my accountants set up for the 6th of, I can't remember what it was. It was early December. And I, you know, I, I kind of put my life on the line for this meeting and I was I was I remember I was dropping the kids off it was a Monday morning and I dropped them off and then I went to the accountants for the meeting I was so nervous I was so worried because I literally had two weeks to go until this thing had to be paid or sorted or wherever it was. And I felt like I wasn't being listened to or acknowledged. Um, and it was something out of my control. And then I turned up and I was kind of told, oh, did you not get the, the phone call or the, the answer message to tell, oh, you know, at this morning, which was when I was doing school routine to say that it had been cancelled. And that was the flick of the switch. And it was, it was really hard. 
it flicked a switch in my head and then it was there and then that all that resilience had gone I felt and something popped in my head and the only way I could explain it was like a, a tunnel vision hunter feel because so many people go but you've got loved ones you've got all this and stuff as well and it's just like it's not like that you don't choose to have this your brain goes into complete survival mode and the weirdest ironic thing the survival mode was to well let's just end this because you feel like you've got nowhere else to go and you feel like you're completely trapped and shame and guilt and everything from contacting other people to be able to help you just goes out the window and it's almost like your brain then just goes to one direction and I took myself to uh, a local lake and I had a little walk around but then my brain and the, this is the problem with having a very creative brain it created sort of it came up with lots of ideas to take my life um, and it started making plans and now I'm someone who can come up with an idea and with an hour I can have a website I can have a domain I can have business cards I can have all these sorts of stuff so you can imagine if you then apply it to something really deadly it can really really accelerate very quickly and I I walked around the lake and then I decided to get in the car and drive across the country because I thought, right, I'll go to the sea because I grew up on an island with, you know, surrounded by the sea. And um, I thought that would be a nice way to go. It's so weird talking about this. Like, it feels like, this is like a year and a half ago. This is going to come up to two years this December, but it's so crystal clear and it's going to be crystal clear for, for a long time. Um, but I remember getting in the car and just driving and driving. It was about an hour, an hour and a half down to sort of South England. And it, all the things going from my head and I had, you know, I had my wife and children in my head. And the other analogy of that tunnel vision hunter um, vision is I stepped over this invisible force field in my head. It's almost like a sci-fi film. And then on... And as I went over, I looked down and there was just this pit. There was just a drop. But then on the left, I saw my, my wife and my children kind of on the other side. But they weren't, they were flickering. So it's almost like they were faint. They were there, but nothing else was there. Not even my guitar, not even my music, not even other loved ones and... And as I was driving, it was just kind of thinking about the sea. And I was thinking about 
how that's always given me comfort and that would be the way to sort of go with it but then a logistical brain kicked in and it was just like i need petrol and i was like okay i pull into a petrol station and it's almost like there was an interrupt in my brain and so i went in got to the petrol station filled up bought myself a double decker because that's my favorite chocolate bar and it's just ridiculous I just remember it crystal clear. And then I drove down. Um, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was the south of England. But as you drive along the seafront, there was barriers and there was, you know, um, and then as soon as I saw the sea, it was kind of like, oh, no, I don't want to do this. This is... This is too calming. This is too, you know, I call it her, the sea, you know, and it's just, I feel so connected to it. And then I started driving home and I got a phone call from the doctors and things as well, checking in how I was doing. And it was just like, oh my goodness. And then my wife also phoned, like, where are you? And I said, oh, I just went for a drive. And I wasn't really being honest because I didn't really know what was going on. But I got home and that evening I decided to go and purchase the extended edition of The Lord of the Rings, uh, the first film, Fellowship. And I was like a kid at Christmas. So I went from like devastation in the morning to elation in the evening just swing of the pendulum and I thought ah oh, that's it that's that's done uh, I've got over this this you know this crisis so I went to bed and then I got up the next morning and I was in hell again I was like oh shit I am even worse than what I was yesterday because all the all the things about the finances all the thing everything was still swirling around and my brain had had almost like 8 hours of charge I you know I was so exhausted by the day that when I went to bed I did sleep but it was almost like my brain my creative side of it wasn't and it was creatively coming up with really dark stuff so I woke up and it was just like, today's the day you're going to end your life. And then I got out and I put my feet on the floor. And it's like, today, th- today's the day is going to end your life. And then you walk and then you've got these thoughts completely crushing you over and over, obsessiveness over and over and over and over and over. I got in the shower and it was like still there. And then I got out of the shower, dry myself, and it was still there. And then getting dressed and it was still there. It was almost like this shadow or this character had just grown so big overnight and then it was bullying me it was really like you know interrogating me and these just this intrusive thoughts and this is what a lot of people don't understand when they they call it it's such a selfish way to do and it's such a selfish act and it's just like when you're when you get this ill it's it's so overpowering 
and actually there's there's a scene in Star Wars and um in Return of the Jedi where Luke talks to Darth Vader and Luke was you know says to um Darth Vader you know Anakin's still in there and um you know I I, I can't power I'm paraphrasing but Darth Vader kind of sort of says you know the dark side is too powerful and it's it is like the Sith inside of you is starting to completely take you over. And as much people saying it's selfish, it's like, no, it's it's like a, a black tar poison inside of you, inside of your brain, starting to overtake. And this is when I had the mix of the SSRIs going on and then probably all the neurodivergent stuff because now I've learned that SSRIs and ADHD and everything as well are massively conflicting. So they're probably playing this horrible game of like brutal football inside of me, kicking me around and then like these beasts are just getting bigger and bigger. And that morning I got myself dressed. It's, it's, it's so hard to think that um, I was going to drop my kids off to school. But all the while I was planning to just take my life. And it's just... And I, I did drop them off. And, you know, that kiss on the forehead. Oh, I still remember it. I remember the smell, the sight, the sound. And um, anyway, I planned, you know, and this is the problem with too many films, TV shows. I planned to get a hose, cut it, go to a forest with my guitar, put it in the exhaust, do that. And that plan, that was plan two, plan B. And I got home, I got it all prepped. And then there was just this sudden force, this sudden shift inside of me. And um, I took myself to the sofa and I just completely and utterly broke down into tears. And I'm sort of thinking now, is that the, was that again another mental hurdle that my brain was telling me to don't go? Don't, don't, don't do this. And I tried phoning Samaritans for, um, but the phone was ringing for like two minutes. And I was just like, oh, I could, I could have done this by now. I could have gone. And so I was like, oh, that was shit. I tried something else. 
I did get a lovely email from Samaritans the next day saying, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, and all sorts of stuff as well. And it's very abnormal for that to happen. So I'm not dissing the service or anything as well, but it just, it's just something I can't use again because it never, it didn't work for me. Um, but then there's this amazing service called Shout where you have a text service. And I've never been so vulnerable in my life going one I had to text my wife and it was I had to fight it's almost like I had to fight my hand through this invisible darkness this like sort of spider web this this like poisonous it's, it's like a, of a superhero film Venom that's what comes to mind actually when it comes to mental health it's like Venom was holding me back and I had to push through Venom to get through and then get hold of the phone and then text my wife saying, you need to come home now. I don't feel safe. And I was... To have the resilience and the strength to do that, um, I still I still feel proud of doing that because if unless you've been through it, unless you know what this feels like, you don't know what that strength is when you're literally on the floor and I'm talking about, you know, when you're depression, you've got nothing, you've got no, no strength left. And this is not physical strength, it's just mental strength. It's completely zapped you and you're at you're 0% and you still need to find that extra whatever percentage to get to that phone. As soon as I text her, she said she was on her way and then I text shout and then... They went for a process of lots of questions and then they wanted me to then talk about my plans. And that was really fucking hard. It was really hard, but I did it. And the greatest thing about that service is, um, had I just spoken to Samaritans on the phone and then my wife got home and asked me about it, I, I don't think I would have been able to articulate it. But because I texted it and I said it in words you know um when she did get home and she you know put her head on my shoulder and didn't have to say anything I just passed her the phone and she could see everything it was completely transparent and that's what was needed um and then we watched like an episode of friends or whatever it is because that goes back to our teens. And that night, I downloaded the second Lord of the Rings film. So I was a kid at Christmas again. And it was just like the extremes, ups and downs of this crisis week. And then for the next few days, I... Um, I started drawing and I was writing out about like the beast inside of me and the darkness and all these other things. And I've got a little book somewhere that I've kept and I was fine for the next few days. But then plan three was building and I think my wife and children went to church, but what had happened is at six in the morning I think my children went down to watch TV and I got up and I was not in a good way and I kind of went down there and they were not 
I can't remember what it was. I think we weren't happy, you know. Um, but then I, I took myself up to, back to bed at six, and I didn't wake up until nine or something like that. But in the space of two or three hours, my brain had come up with another plan. And then I waited until my wife and children went to church. And I emptied the medicine cupboard, put it up, you know, put everything that I could get my hands on, on the side. Got the office ready, put the blinds, suicide note, picture. And then there was another interrupt in my brain. And it just said, sit down, play guitar for a bit. Just take a break from this for a little bit. Let's see how we do. So I sat in the kitchen, just playing my guitar like it was guitar therapy. Weirdly enough, an idea materialised. And that's what happens when I just pick up my guitar. And then it kicked in. Shit, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then I, I then phoned a friend. And I only spoke to him a few days before. And he came over. He walked through the door. He's not someone I see on a daily basis. And he still had his coat on. And I was frozen. And this is when you're in your most vulnerable state. And everyone can see exactly what has been going on. He walked in, crouched down, looked at me. And said, how you doing? And then I sort of gestured. I showed him everything up on the surface. I showed him, you know... All the, all the tablets and all the things that I had planned. And I'd never felt so vulnerable in my life. It's like when someone can see your darkest, darkest moment. And it was... strange and anyway I went to we had to go to A&E that night and I was in A&E and I heard overheard you know one guy came in and he talked about he was just about to hang himself and there was I heard another thing and I heard another thing and I was just like shit oh my goodness where the where the fuck am I? <laughs> what the fuck is happening? And did lots of tests and things as well. Felt like I was patronised by mental health services, by nurse and practitioners at the hospital. I know they ask you questions. I know they do this stuff as well, but it's almost like a patron patronising thing of like, you do know you have children. You do know what this is. And it's just like, you 
you clearly don't understand what the what the depth of it is, what it does to your insides. This, this was not me taking my way myself away from my children. This was not me taking myself away from my loved ones. This was the strangest survival mode I've ever been through in my life. Survival mode normally means that you're surviving something. But actually, I, I did. I survived that week. I had interrupts at certain points to stop me from it. And then we went back home. To, you know, to the island, uh, it was literally like a week after, and I don't think I should have done that. It was horrible for all of us. And the responses I got, I, I should forget, but they damaged me even more. from some of the some of the conversations i had with in some cases absolutely no response and then i was accused of jabbering whereas actually i just needed to be heard and seen and maybe a bit of empathy or maybe acknowledgement and then you could tell i was didn't have to say anything, but I was looked upon as weak and I was looked upon as sensitive and not normal and other things as well. Again, people didn't have to say these things, but just a look, just a presence that you have. And then I was just like, in one part of my brain, I was like, how dare you? And then the other side of my brain, I was just like, it's fine. You know, that's, that's the way you are. Um, and it's still, those things can still cut you up, but I just, I, I'm not, what I'm trying not to do is obviously live in the present all the time. I'm trying to live in the present and the future and what I have now, but all these things can bring up really, really hard feelings. And then, <laughs> And it was my birthday, and I just remember it was the I had friends up here who were so much more supportive than some of the other close people around me, you know, bar a few. And they really helped me, even if it's just something small, even just going for a walk, going out for a meal, or going for a coffee, and just listening, and just allowing me to be myself. And understanding that that's that's who I am, and then on Christmas Eve, then I had a psychiatric assessment for an hour and a half where they dissect you, and it was like, oh fucking hell, this is horrible. But I was still very raw, like I just had, I just lost an arm or I just lost a limb, and I was just starting to try and condition to it. And then I had to go through this, and I thought I had bipolar because of the ups and downs and everything. But at the end of it, they were like, and this was this was like, you know, two people conferring to each other. At the end of it, they were like, 
ADHD and autism, which then it was like Christmas Eve. So it was like, happy Christmas. And then um, that kicked off like an identity crisis in some ways, because it was like, what? I've been living under this bloody rock and cloud for my whole life. And now I know, now I find out it's got a four year wait for the assessments and I can't get to meds and I can't get to this. And it's just like, what? Um, and then I went through six months turbulence, turmoil. And then I had a relapse in July, 2021, 2022, sorry. Last year in this case, in 2023. And I, um, my wife and children went away for the weekend. And I almost planned to go with them and I didn't, I stayed behind. And I planned to take myself to a train station and just jump. Um, and I got to the train station and then I sat down and then a speeding train comes past and I felt the momentum and it almost jolted me to the point of shit, no, 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 no. And again, there was another interrupt and I did have my wife and children in my brain and I did have all these other things, but you could tell I was still not well. I was still not well. And I had a, you know, my best friend who really helped me. He, he lives, you know, he lives in America. So we were, we were over just talking over WhatsApp, but he really, really helped me. And but it's so strange thinking about this now when I'm on my own two feet and I'm thinking clearly, but all of that is still crystal clear. And then I've gone into therapy and then I've gone into other things, you know, secondary healthcare and and all these other things and learning about myself and accepting my neurodivergent brain and accepting things about me and the way I do things. And I think the key thing is, is that I've been masking for so many years and to go through multiple sort of hurdles and then COVID really did blow up everybody's mental cracks. But a really, really sad thing I saw. And it just popped up. I'm part of some Facebook groups. I saw a guy, um, there's someone put up a, a photo and this was the last photo before he took his own life. And there's high percentages. I don't know the exact percentages and I know there's high rates, especially with males and things. And it's between a certain age and stuff. And I'm like, right, I'm, I'm right in the sort of crux of this age bracket and it made me feel really like some people were saying oh such a selfish act and everything as well and he obviously felt like he had nobody he had no hurdles he had no interrupts to get him out of that He didn't deliberately take himself away from his loved ones. I know these people who have taken their life, they, they've not done it to take themselves away from their loved ones. Their brain, it's almost like it's been venomed. It's been poisoned to the point where 
is tunnel visioned and it's gone into like hunter mode and everything else gets shut out and it's probably there's probably a science it's a chemical thing and it just encloses and I just saw that I was just I just felt so sad and I've gone through four different plans and I'm still here and one of my goals for 2023 was just not to have another crisis I just don't want a hat trick of crises even though I had three plans during the first one but the key thing now is is support networks and to talk about it this is why I want to do this episode not to oh look I'm promoting this and I'm doing talking about this so you know whatever it is I don't want it's it's not that bullshit this is just openly talking about something I've gone through it I got through it I got to the other side but it's left it has left a scar it's left a stain in my brain that I get flashbacks and I can see it crystal clear and because I know what the bottom of the floor is now one I know you know if I'm having a bad day it's not as bad as that day those days but two I think when it's like when you learn a lot about something you your your pool gets deeper in regards to experience so if you know what the bottom of your pit is or you've hit rock bottom there's two sides to the coin it's a strength but it's also a weakness because if you get something if you if I go into depression I have all those memories from that time that can really pull me in to the bottom of that bottom of that floor. But I think it's just the strength to talk to people, get access to everything I need. I've come off of all meds now. Um, and the first crisis week I was weaning off of the old SSRI and moving into the other one, which is like a sleeping giant. But I just think talking about it and, and men as well, you know, I know, I mean, I've grown up with men from different generations and they don't talk about this shit. And it's almost like, no, two we're men, we shouldn't talk about it. But then the suicide rate is up like massively. It's just like, this is just ridiculous. This is what, why are we doing this? And I remember being on a train actually in between the crises. I was going up to see some friends. And on the way back, I heard two guys talking about t talking to each other. And he said, oh, yeah, I lost my brother-in-law last year at the age of 38 to suicide. And it was just like, he took himself into a forest. And, and it, was just, it's just, it was just so sad. It's just like, oh, my goodness. I know how those people feel now. I know exactly where they are and what what they went through. And then to not have those interrupts. And I think that's the key, is to try and find interrupts, trying to find things that you can hold on to, trying to find ways that trigger words or thoughts or feelings or maybe like, I mean, it, this is a neurodivergent musician podcast, so if you're a musician, have your instrument. And if you feel like your instrument is a learning tool, convert it into a therapy tool for now. You know, this I instead of standard tuning, I go to open tunings, and it's a really great way of doing that. And I've talked a little bit about that. 
So that is my improvised thoughts in the amber section. I'm going to go into a recommendation now. So in the green section, I'm going to quick keep this short and sweet, but I think out of everything that worked was the shout text service. It's, it's not the best because when I used it, the second crisis, I felt like I got the same predicted sort of script again. And when you work in business and when you work in different areas, you kind of cotton on to certain things and you're like, oh, you're using the same terminology again. You're asking the same questions again. And that felt very formatted. And I was like, oh, it's not as personal as I thought. And you really do need personal touch in those points, which is probably what Samaritans works, but it didn't work at that point. But what I liked about Shout was the evidence so those texts are really, really vital for your support network and the loved ones you've got around you, whether, they get, whether they're going to view it on your phone or you can just copy and paste it to someone else and you can show them the conversations that way. What I would like to see with something like Shout is in ChatGBT now, you can build a thread, a chat, but they now have a facility, a, um, a feature where you can share the chat so you don't have to go and scroll and then select all the whole conversation and copy and paste it over into a text because that's just bloody long um and no one wants to be scrolling through stuff obviously loved ones are really concerned so they they might do but i just think when you can share a thread and just give them a link they can go over and it makes life so much easier. That's what I'm doing with ChatGPT at the moment. When I've come across lots of different things, I've just shared the link uh, because, you know, I also have this thing where I become obsessed and I can cling on to people who really care for me, but they end up getting millions and millions and millions of texts. And then I've overdone it and I've overcooked it and then they get exhausted, which is why I disconnect from a lot of people because if they really take me in and rein me in and they want to be with me, they, I will become a leech. And I, that's just because of my, the way my brain works. And then I will just chat, 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 whether it's text or verbally or whatever it is and stuff. And I will not stop. And then I feel like I've overcooked it uh, in other many ways. But anyway, that's that's my improvised babble, babble there. Um, but yeah, I would check out the chat. I would check out the Shout service in the UK. Uh, there's obviously all sort of mental health charities and companies um, and organisations locally, NHS, so many, and Mind website. There's there's loads and loads. I mean, I might be talking just the UK here, but I imagine they're all across the world. But I wanted to share these thoughts because I, I think it's really, really important. And this is an episode that I wanted to do. It's the hardest episode to do because it's completely and utterly vulnerable and you're talking about your darkest, darkest moments. But I hope this is the darkest episode. I do. Uh, I think it's vital. 
and just know if you're going through struggles you're not alone and please do reach out you can speak to me anytime go to johnhartmusic.com to the contact page you can go to messenger you can go to facebook instagram John Hart Music, j-o-n-h-a-r-t music and just get in touch uh, and um i'm always there um to chat because the more we can chat about this the easier life can be we don't have to just live in this world where we just struggle and yeah those are my thoughts so thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening to this episode and if you do like the podcast please let me know and if you'd like to suggest any you know subjects going forward or any guests please do get in touch with me as well and um yeah thanks so much for listening and i'll see you in the next episode cheers take care